Well, to be fair, uh, six of us from the church were at a rock and roll show last night. <laughs> Lindsay was one of them, so maybe I can't even hear you. Uh, so I'm sing along. I'm still ringing. Well, today is a very strange day. It's Palm Sunday. It is the day when the church across the world celebrates and remembers the moment that Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem, not for the first time, he'd been there many times, but for the last time. His arrest, his trials, his death, those are all on the horizon. But no one really seems to know that except for Jesus himself. So there's some confusion uh, that is about to take place. And when he enters the city, he does so in this really strange way. He orchestrates this like parade, this ad hoc flash mob parade, uh, and he rides into town on what I find just hilarious, this borrowed donkey. Now, the people that are there, they do catch on. They see the imagery. They kind of know what's going on, and they throw down their garments, and they wave branches as Jesus passes by, and they say things from the Psalms like, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All of it is a kind of street theater, and the crowd seemed to have understood the imagery. In the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, uh, we find these words. He writes, Rejoice gladly, O daughter Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious, humble, riding on a donkey. So the crowd at least understands the connection. They're making the connections as Jesus makes his way down the street. But Jesus is playing the part of a king. That's what he's doing. But he's playing the part of a king, or at least the kind of king, who rides into town on a rental. It's a pretty low-grade kind of royalty, if you think about it. And everyone would have noticed that. It's kind of silly, The whole thing is kind of humorous because the donkey is no symbol of influence and power, right? It's a laborer. It carries things that belong to people that are more important. If I had you rank all of the most powerful characters in Winnie the Pooh, it would not be Eeyore, right? (laughs) Although he is one of my favorites because he's just so angsty. (laughs) But this animal is one that carries the load of those more important. So the whole scene is kind of ironic. You see, a lot of people were betting on Jesus to rise to power, to take on the establishment, to lead Israel out from underneath the shadow of Roman presence. But this procession down the street on a donkey, it sent a different alternative message to the image and the power of the power and the influence that existed all around them. The word Messiah for Jesus carried different meanings. Jesus, in this story, he rides in really low. The kids are having fun down there. I can hear, I can hear that. I can hear that. But only out of my right ear. It seems like 
we're always lamenting that society has become too self-focused, too self-absorbed, so much so that you would think words like arrogance and pride are describing like new character flaws in the human race. We just, we do this. Even in my own generation, X, I hear my fellow Xers lamenting over like, everybody's just so selfish and self-centered. And, and I'm always like, have you seen the interviews with Kurt Cobain? <laughs> I mean, a genius, yes, but insufferable, right? I mean, my generation invented Google. World domination. <laughs> Pride at its highest level, Right? Although we'll never send one up for president. I can promise you that. We, we've never had a Gen X president. We never will. That's just too much accountability for us latchkey kids. We're not having it. My point is this. like Humility issues are not new to the human condition. Think about the very first like human story in the Bible, in the garden. You know the story. There's a tree, and God's like, you can't eat from that. And then this serpent who talks, it's weird. I get it is speaking to the people, and this is what he says. The serpent said to the woman, you will not die if you eat from this tree, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, this language of insight, and that you will be, and this is the key phrase, like God, knowing good and evil. The very first existential crisis in the Bible is swirling around this tempting notion that we can rise above our humanity, that we can become gods among people, more knowledgeable and wiser than those around us. This is the first crisis in scripture. And I find that very powerful because nothing has changed. The push against the humble life is as old as life itself. As Hannah read uh, from Philippians Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, some versions say servant, being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death on a cross, which we will observe this Friday on Good Friday. Now, these are the opening lines to what is known as the Christ hymn. It's also called the Canusis hymn, which is Greek for emptying, pouring out of life. You can get that pretty easily just from reading the text itself. It's not the sort of hymn that you would write uh, about God. You wouldn't imagine these words to be written about God with all of its attention on a kind of downwardness of the divine, the descent of Jesus, his lowliness and humility. The hymn says that he emptied himself and he humbled himself. And it's at this point I want to ask you to listen closely to the rest of what we're going to reflect on today. Because these two things, being emptied and humbled, They're pretty normal to the human experience. We are sometimes emptied of our energy and drive, and we are at times humbled by our circumstances. Both of these things can happen 
to us. They can happen to you. They can happen to me. Uh, People get emptied just from parenting. It's hard. It's exhausting. Any parents in the room? Yeah, you just empty. At the end of the day, you're like, I'm done. Where's the beer? I'm done. (laughs) You can be emptied just in that role in your life. We can be emptied in our work, just the load of work that each of us carries or emptied because of our anxieties and fears. These are very draining realities. We can be emptied by the stresses of family and relationships. We can be emptied just by getting older and slower. Are you with me? When it comes to being humbled, that can happen if we lose a job. There's nothing more humbling than that. The thing that you've poured your energy into and then you get the notice that you're no longer needed. It's a humbling experience. We're humbled when we are wrong about something or about someone and we're made aware of that. That's humbling. It should be. Sometimes we ignore that. But if it's been pointed out to us and we understand that we were wrong, it's a humbling experience. It requires, it elicits an apology. We're humbled by simply being in the presence of people who are better than us at whatever it is that we do. Uh, Last month, we had a class going on uh, that our good friend and frequent lecturer and class leader, class leader, Dr. Holly Carey comes in and she taught. And um, some of you know her, but like, here's the thing, like I know her and the books that she's written and the uh, scholarship level that she has, like it's, it's intimidating. And we were sitting down on the first week before the class started and she was like, what's the sermon on? And I was like, um, <laughs> well, everything this month is in the Gospel of John, which is really complicated. It's one of my favorite Gospels. But she's like an expert. And I was just like, so uh, what would you say about this passage? I mean, it's like an hour before I get up, you know? <laughs> like, what, what would you say? Because I'm going to pencil that in, you know? Just feeling very intimidated every week, you know? But it, it's just what happens when you're in the presence of people who are just better at what they do than what you do. Um, It can be humbling. Being emptied and humbled is part of being human. These things can happen to us. But in this hymn that the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians, there's something interesting that he points out. It's that Christ himself chose those conditions. And this is the key turn in the story. We can be humiliated and emptied. These things happen to us. But Paul points out that Christ chose these conditions, that Jesus had the agency to empty himself out and to enter our world in a humble way. And what Paul does is he implores the church, you and me, to do the same, that humility is a way of being in the world. That's what he says at the very beginning. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. This is the call to a lower self, the mind of Christ, to think as Jesus thought, to imagine a different way to live, an alternative way to live. 
And the humble life is an upstream encounter life because humility is hard for us. But there's also this chosen and discretionary kind of emptiness that Paul implores upon us. Empty yourself in some way. What is humility? In the simplest of terms, humility is when you and I recognize our own level of potential power and influence over others, and we ignore it. Do you understand that? It's like when we are aware, deeply aware, of our ability to be superior, to sound smarter, to make someone feel less than, all these very human things, and we choose to ignore that. This could be our level of education, our successes, of our life, of our work, our relationships. This could be our skills at arguing and debating, our tendency to punch down on those beneath us in our minds. Humility is recognizing and naming the parts of our lives where we could wield a sense of superiority over others, And we starve those tendencies. That's the practice of humility. Humility is listening to people without judgment. It's learning about the other. It's been very disheartening in the wake of another school shooting to see the footage of our elected officials doubling down and just yelling at each other. Isn't it? I'm not getting political. I'm just telling you the truth. It's disheartening. No one is listening, at least not to understand. They're listening only to respond. And it's this anti-humble posture. It's arrogance. It's pride. And it leads to nothing but more bitterness and separation. As the writers of the scripture say, pride comes before the fall. And the humble life is the one that listens, tries to understand, assumes that maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I can learn. But the humble life is also one that seeks the welfare of all people. The life that is postured towards others' well-being. And the humble life is one that makes no assumptions, but instead assumes that the default settings in the lives of those around us, their struggle and fear, that beneath whatever outer layers we see in others, what lies underneath are the same shared insecurities and anxieties that are common to all people. Any great therapist will tell you this. Some people come in, they're so together, so educated, so successful, and they're falling apart but this is normal to all people. And the humble life assumes that. It understands that everybody you're talking to, everyone I'm interacting with is struggling. Amen? Now, our aim as a church community, as a parish family, is to be a people uh, growing in the ways of Jesus. This is our statement of mission and that we might resemble Jesus in our relationships, 
in our faith and in the ways that we serve those in need. And humility is one of those ways of Jesus. It's one of the ways that we are after in our lives. It's very interesting because humility is a thing that is, um, it's, it, it's something we have to work on which can build a sense of pride. Look how humble I am, you know? I'm sure someone will ask me today, you know, fellow pastors, how'd your sermon go? And it's like, I preached a killer sermon on humility. It was, <laughs> it was great. But the church, Paul says, should be marked by humility. That's the aim. That when we encounter people in our lives, that there's a sense of humility in our posture and in our words. You see, two processions, two parades took place in Jerusalem at this time. From the west, Rome enters the city with extra policing for the Passover festival that was taking place. We know this. And with Pontius Pilate and his entourage of power and intimidation, make their way through the city, announcing their presence in a magisterial way. Rome doesn't do things low-key. And from the east, a working-class Galilean rides into town on a borrowed donkey, triggering a silly and ironic display of royalty. It's kind of a dig at the allure of earthbound power provoking in its theater. It can be very easy to, to dismiss this story of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. It's just another Bible story where Jesus does weird things. But this event sends a very strong signal to those that were there, but to us as well. And this signal is very central to the Christian faith that we are to aim our lives in the direction of humility. Jesus would be king, but not the kind that you would think. And to assume a posture of service and love towards all people, amen? This is about entering the kind of story that God is writing in this world. And so the last word today comes from Flannery O'Connor. In her prayer journals, she writes, Don't let me ever think, dear God, that I was anything but the instrument for your story, just like the typewriter was mine. What a perspective. That is the prayer of each of us today.